She was filled with anger and vengeful, and vengeful thoughts, so much that she wrote, they boiled within me as he stood before me. The woman was Corey Ten Boom, and the man standing before her was a former SS German soldier who had tormented Corey and her sister Betsy, who had died in the concentration camp. Yet, hear her words as she recounts what happened in those moments. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand to shake his. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. The first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is love. And what Corey experienced that day in the face of her enemy was the filling of God's Spirit that manifests love. That story is on the final pages of her autobiography. But I find it significant that the conditions of her life as a Christian that cultivated within her a desire to pray in that moment, Lord, give me your forgiveness, are recorded at the beginning of her autobiography as she recounts the conditions of her home life as a child. Quoting from the beginning pages, she says, Father stood up and took the big brass hinged Bible from its shelf. Scripture reading was at 8.30 each morning for all who were in the house and was another fixed point around which life revolved. Father opened the big volume and Betsy and I held our breaths. Surely today of all days when there was still so much to do, it would not be a whole chapter, but he was turning to the gospel of Luke where he'd left off 
yesterday. Her father, the chief servant of his family, the leader to his home, ensured that daily they were scripture-fed. Scripture-fed, servant-led, placed Corey in a context in which, saved by grace, she was filled with the Spirit and then continued in moments like that which came after the war when she was in her 50s to continue experiencing the filling of God's Holy Spirit to love her enemies. FBNO, as we continue in our core convictions series, I remind you that we must, as a congregation, be Scripture-fed, that we as a congregation must be servant-led. And today, we will see in the Scriptures that we must, as a congregation, be Spirit-filled. Be Spirit-filled corporately, be Spirit-filled as we leave individually to live for Christ in New Orleans and all nations. Now, I want to invite you to turn in the New Testament to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to look at various passages beginning in chapter 1. And so I'm going to ask, if you would, in honor of God's Word, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And I want you to remain standing. I'm going to hop through a few passages, but I want you to follow along as I read aloud, beginning in chapter 1, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. While he was with them, referring to Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But then hear these words from verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, shortly after Jesus spoke those words, he ascended into heaven and suddenly two angels appeared and told the disciples that in the same way they just saw him leave, that one day he would return. And then we read this description in verse 14 about what life looked like in those following days after the ascension. Picking up in chapter 1, verse 14, they, all of the disciples, all of the believers, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Turning now over to chapter 2, I want you to see then the fulfillment of Jesus's promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now we can assume from verse 14 of chapter 1 that in that one place, they were in prayer. They were in prayer. They were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This leads to thousands of people hearing the gospel and being saved by the Lord 
But such growth did not occur without opposition. Peter and John, two of the disciples, two of the early apostles, were arrested and then released. And in chapter 4, I invite you to turn to verse 23. After Peter and John are released, we read these words, a description of the early church. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God, that is, in prayer, and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants that they may speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we have much to learn about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We confess that we have allowed inaccurate understandings and concern over emotionalism to result in a weakened posture of dependence upon your presence in our lives. We have relied on our minds rather than longing for the mind of Christ, which is ours by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We have relied on our might rather than calling upon your might and power to be manifest in our weakness by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We have relied on our carefully crafted strategies, our varying levels of discipline, our ability to resource and sustain efforts rather than admitting that we are poor and needy, having received all in as much as we have received your Holy Spirit. And as an experienced surgeon can diagnose an injury often with one question or one movement, so you, the great physician of our souls, discern the condition of the church by the engagement of our body in prayer. Please speak through your word today by the power of your Holy Spirit that our hearts and minds would be focused on Christ to the glory of you, our Heavenly Father. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We must be Spirit-filled. We will see today in the book of Acts one main idea that I want us to all grasp and to leave with today, and it is this. We must be Spirit-filled because we are powerless to fulfill the Great Commission apart from the Holy Spirit. We must be Spirit-filled because we are powerless to fulfill the Great Commission 
apart from the Holy Spirit. You show me a church that has little to no concern about the Great Commission, that is the command to make disciples of all nations, and I'll show you a church that experiences very little of the Holy Spirit. You show me a church that has little to no concern about ethnic barriers to the kingdom advancement, and I will show you a church that experiences very little of the Holy Spirit. You show me a church that has little to no concern about speaking the word of God boldly, even when there is persecution for speaking the truth. And I'll show you a church that experiences very little of the Holy Spirit. But when a church is scripture-fed, seeing that we are commanded It's an imperative by Christ Jesus himself to make disciples of all nations. Then I'll show you a church in prayer, desperate for the Holy Spirit to lead them, to fill them, to send them to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations. When a church is scripture fed, seeing that Christ himself has torn down the dividing wall that separated Jew and Gentile, Seeing people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne in heaven as portrayed in Revelations chapter 5 and 7, worshiping the lamb that was slain and the one who is seated upon the throne. And seeing in Matthew 28, the great commission is a command to make disciples of all nations, including residents of other nations who are visiting and living in our own then I will show you a church in prayer, desperate for the Holy Spirit to draw all nations to Christ. A church desperate to overcome any barriers that exist within the body, including racial barriers among Americans. And desperate to experience the words of Jesus that the gathering, this body of believers, this body would be the temple of the living God in which he dwells by his spirit as it says in Ephesians. And that this, as Jesus said in Matthew, would be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, when a church is scripture fed, they see Jesus as king and no one else. Refusing to allow political agenda, a cultural way from the right or the left, a reinvention or recasting of a truth, an ardent denial of or a radical commitment to anyone, a party, an organization, an ideology, then I will show you a church that prays together, praying the scriptures, such as we see in Acts chapter 4, the church praying Psalm 2, asking together for boldness to speak the word of the Lord. So let us consider that we must be spirit-filled because we are powerless to fulfill the great commission apart from the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said in verses 4 and 5, But wait for the Father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit in a few days. But why? Why was this baptism of the Holy Spirit needed? Jesus makes clear in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
The reason Jesus was making clear to his disciples then and still speaks to us from his word today about the essential nature of the Holy Spirit is this. You and I can't make disciples. But hold on, Chad. I thought Jesus told us to go make disciples. I mean, you're contradicting the Bible. Jesus wouldn't have told us to make disciples if we couldn't make disciples. Well, I appreciate the pushback, but this is where the church is dead wrong, or better said, wrong and therefore dying. The entire Bible is full of God's prescribed, just, righteous, and good standard for mankind. His way of living, his commands. The Old Testament, the New Testament make clear the character, conduct, and care that we, the people of God, are to manifest to all mankind. Yet we never meet a person in either the Old Testament or the New who completely manifests the character, conduct, and care, the justice, righteousness, and love that God prescribed for mankind except one, and his name is Jesus. He is God's one and only son. You see, God called all men to live according to his just, righteous, and good standard, his way. But all men, every man, woman, boy, and girl, has failed because of our sinful condition. The gospel says that Jesus, however, fully lived according to God's just, righteous, and good standard. And in the greatest exchange in history, he exchanged your sin and mine and gave us his righteousness. He took our debt and gave us being debt-free. He took our shame and gave us his dignity. He took our hatred and gave us his love. He took our racism and gave us justice. He took our political division and gave us a united family, a united kingdom. He took from us death and gave to us eternal life. The gospel says the good news is that although we were asked by God to do something that we were incapable of doing because of sin, God made possible the achievement of his standard, his commands in Christ. But how? By giving us Christ. You see, Christ is not a coach who comes along into our lives and tells us, work harder. Christ is not a motivational speaker who says, just try harder. Christ is not a survivor whose story inspires us to keep trying. No, Christ alone is righteousness. He is our righteousness. He doesn't teach us how to become righteous. He gives us his righteousness. We get a person not a plan. We get a savior and not a program, not a 12-step approach to becoming like Jesus. We get Jesus himself. And this is superior in every way because with it comes life. And that life is found by the presence of his Holy Spirit. You see, the song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's sing it together. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When we try to make disciples apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we sink. We sink. We are ineffective, we are frustrated, and we blame one another. You see, FBNO, I have seen this happen in so many churches of dear friends and of congregations whom I love. The congregation looks and sees that the church is not growing like it used to. So they huddle up as congregants and start trying to figure out why. And the, and the solution usually starts with these words, the pastor needs to, dot, dot, dot. Meanwhile, the pastor is huddled up with other pastors at the association meeting with Jack Hunter. <laughs> and we're lamenting the very same thing. The church is not growing. But our solution usually starts with something like this. The people need to be dot, dot, dot. Today, can we agree, your pastor and the people of this incredible church, can we agree together that we are powerless to make disciples of all nations apart from the Holy Spirit? Can we agree that we need a desperation for God to pour out His Spirit in this city and in this body that we would be shaken into awe of His presence awe of his glory, that we might go out as the disciples did in Acts chapter 4, speaking boldly the word of the Lord? Can we agree that we need God? But as we turn anew in a scripture-fed, servant-led call to prayer, you will notice that what I've said today is we must be spirit-filled. Chad, doesn't that mean that you should be calling us to be spirit-filled rather than calling us to prayer? And this is where it is so important that we, as the people of God, be Scripture-fed. Because in our world today, there are many negative examples of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right now, if you were to go home and to begin to turn on the TV, you might hear a lot of messages that perhaps even contradict one another about what it means to experience and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, I have a, a dear friend that now lives in another nation. His wife is a medical missionary. And he attended a well-known, if I were to tell you the name, most of you would know the name of this school, a charismatic school here in the United States, that each day of classes, he shared with me, they, they had a chapel service where they had to attend. And in the course of the chapel, they were instructed at specific points in the service to speak in tongues. My friend said that chapel was jokingly called on campus, tongues on demand. He noted that people were stationed throughout the chapel who ensured that all students were participating. And so to demonstrate a filling of the spirit, students would say these words, want to buy a Honda or want to buy, a, want to tie a bow tie. Very quickly. So want to tie a bow tie, want to tie a bow tie. And it became a joke. It became this way of keeping from drawing attention of not speaking in tongues in order to avoid being taken to the front of the chapel 
where either the guest speaker or the president of the university would lay hands on the students in order to bring about the speaking in tongues. And if it still were not manifest, then the student could be ex, 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 um, could, ex, could have expulsion. What's the word I'm looking for there? Expelled. There it is. The student would be expelled. This is what happens when we separate the reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit from the mission of the church. Don't miss that. That's what happens when we separate the reason that God clearly from Acts chapter one said that we would receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is clear. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He connects the reason for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to then spread the gospel. And what do we see in Acts? We see the gospel being spread in Jerusalem. We see the gospel spreading to Judea and Samaria. And we see from chapter 13 on the gospel going to the ends of the known world. We see verse 8 unfold in the rest of the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit is poured out. But when we reduce the Holy Spirit to simply a way of seeing one thing in our worship services, then we have disconnected the purpose of God in giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit. But when the two are joined, and we see in the early church filled for the first time with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues in a context in which many Jews had been scattered for generations all gathered in this one place, Jerusalem, for the day of Pentecost. And in that context, the Spirit enabled them to speak in tongues so that people could hear the wonders of God in their own native language. I mean, look at it. It's in verse 4 in chapter 2. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then as you keep on reading down through verses 5 and then ending... In verse 12, it says they were all astounded and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? Because in verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. Bold proclamation. I mean, the gospel is going to people in their native tongue because they're all gathered. I mean, imagine United Nations, everybody's there for this one time. And so the Spirit enables them to to get the gospel out to all of these different people groups who are now going to return to their homes to all of these different regions to bring the gospel to those places. And we see it unfold right there in Acts chapter two. The disciples in and of themselves were powerless to cross a language barrier on their own. Just as you and I are powerless to cross barriers, whether they're linguistic, ethnic, racial, economic, educational, or political, on our own. Oh, that we would acknowledge our powerlessness more quickly as the church of Jesus Christ. Crying out to the Lord in prayer together, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might receive power to fulfill the Great Commission. But when our desire for being filled with the Holy Spirit is simply to speak in tongues, it can sadly become as meaningless as reciting, want to buy a Honda or want to tie a bow tie. But it's not fair of me simply to indict a charismatic university 
For when our desire for being filled with the Holy Spirit in many Baptist churches today is simply to enjoy the Sunday morning worship service. That the pastor would preach a message that we liked. That the, the songs would just be songs that we prefer. When that's all that we're really hoping for in the pouring out of God's Spirit in a corporate time of worship, then we are no different than those that we would indict so easily. But with no hope or anticipation of his presence meant to give us boldness as it did in Acts 4, to speak this place bold, to leave this place speaking boldly the word of the Lord then makes our gatherings about us. Church family, we are powerless to fulfill the great commission apart from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must be scripture fed, we must be servant led, and we must be spirit filled, which is simultaneously a call to prayer. You see, the passages that we read this morning, if you'll notice that as Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait there, what were they found doing in verse 14? And they were all together in prayer. Chapter two, when they're found together in one place, we can assume from verse 14, while not stated explicitly, that they were gathered together as was their custom in prayer. And then in chapter four, when Peter and John are released to the church, we see them again gathering. And what do they do? They begin to pray together as the body, praying to the Lord, exercising their dependence. And I'm gonna tell you right now, there is no posture better for the church of Jesus Christ to be ready. You see, we don't have a monopoly. There, there's not some um, formula that we can voice that makes God do anything. But when we, in a healthy way, according to the scriptures, being scripture fed, praying the scriptures back to him, and being led by servants, our deacons and the, and the ministerial staff of this church, banding together in prayer to lead the congregation in times of prayer, all together find our posture in prayer of bowing before the Lord, of seeking his face, of humbling ourselves, of confessing our sin and turning from our wicked ways. When we together humble ourselves before him, that's the posture that we see throughout Christian history and in the Bible itself of God in his grace pouring out his spirit. And it was from there when God would pour out his spirit that then the disciples would go. And so we've all agreed already that we are powerless to make disciples of all nations apart from the Holy Spirit. So what we have said and that same statement is we need to humble ourselves and pray. We need to humble ourselves and pray. And so I wanna invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. One of the hardest things sometimes is in a sermon where you talk about prayer is to actually pray. And you wouldn't think that that's the way it is, but often it is. It's easier to sometimes talk about prayer or for you and I to say, man, I need to pray more. I'll go get a book on prayer and then start reading about prayer rather than praying. 
But, but that's how we are. I mean, I, I know I'm not alone in this room. But even in a sermon about prayer, to then just close in a perfunctory prayer, it just seems too trite. It seems like we, I don't really mean it. But I want us to pray together this morning, praying the word back to the Father, being scripture fed in our prayers. And in this moment, some of you may want to come and just bow at these steps. And so I want to give you the freedom to move in this moment. Some of you may want to turn at your seat and just bow right where you are at your seat. Some of you may want to stand in honor of the Lord and to pray standing. Whatever your posture, it just needs to mirror the respect, the worship that you have in your heart for the Lord. Just let it mirror that. And I want us to turn to this passage of the Lord's Prayer in verse 9 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian, who contributed so much to the church about community, he wrote that the Lord's Prayer, in his estimation, is the summation of all the prayers of the Bible, such that the Lord's model prayer for us becomes a way to pray the Scriptures. So today, as, just as Jesus trained his disciples in prayer, so we, as the church, return to Christ in the school of prayer, as Andrew Murray called it, to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to invite you now to turn to this passage. And I want us to pray it aloud together, just praying God's word back to him as he has spoken to us. So hear the word of the Lord and you pray with me aloud. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, in the simplicity of this prayer, we trust in the sufficiency of your word. We trust that the example given to us in your word is an intentional example that we should follow. And so today, God, as a body, longing to experience the filling of your Holy Spirit, that we might be empowered, filled with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of your Holy Spirit, to be given boldness and courage to go and to speak the word of the Lord boldly. And Lord, we know that that will look different for each one of us this week. That as we leave from this place, God, we will scatter throughout this city to New Orleans East, to Metairie, to Kenner, to the West Bank, to New Orleans, Lord, throughout this metro area, God, we will scatter. But may we go united in spirit to live for Christ and for him alone. May we go filled with your Holy Spirit to speak your word boldly this week that we might come back next week celebrating and rejoicing in your provision this week, in your protection this week, in your leadership, in the doors that you opened, in the, in the lives that you changed, and how you supplied what was needed in every, every situation that we faced. 
So, Lord, we humble ourselves now, praying your word and asking that you would bring us and lead us by your spirit in accordance with your word into deeper times of corporate prayer, that we would position ourselves as the church did in Acts chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, to be filled with power by your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Lord, we love you. We worship you together this morning, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.